0: Hello and welcome to the Women's Agenda podcast. My name is Angela Priestley and I am joined with Tala Lambert. How are you, Tala? I am well today, Ange. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Lots to talk about. It's been a big couple of weeks uh, since we last spoke on this podcast and a lot has happened. Maybe you'd like to kick us off, Tala, with what happened yesterday, which I'm sure most of you are aware of, but this is, (laughs) we are recording on the 16th of March a pretty not, big thing happened yesterday. A pretty big thing, yeah. If you're not aware, then uh, then I don't know where you've <laughs> been. But
1: uh, look, the March for Justice took place, obviously, uh, across the country yesterday. Um, I think it was in 40 different locations, and including every capital city. And we just saw hundreds of thousands of, of um, women and men coming out to really um, call time on on this kind of culture of sexual misconduct and and toxic masculinity towards women, which was amazing. It was just so invigorating to see that kind of response. Um, And I think, you know, it really pushed a really important message uh, to the government uh, who have been pretty...
0: Pretty inactive. I mean, on absent. these issues, on yeah. these issues, yeah. absent, totally absent. And so, I mean, it, it's obviously it's on the front of every newspaper today, which is great to see. Um, it was certainly, yeah, like you said, in the forty different locations, um, it certainly got the pickup in Parliament and in Question Time. Uh, that 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 was the whole aim of it. Yeah, um, it made things very awkward for Scott Morrison. I think very, very <laughs> awkward. Yes, absolutely. And so. But look, he
1: probably made things a little bit more awkward for himself as well by not actually getting out there and showing his face. I think, yes, that probably didn't serve him.
0: Well, exactly. So he he put in the offer and the offer came the day before Mm. to say, well, you can come into my office and you can bring in a, a small delegation and we can have a chat. The organisers rejected that offer and said, no, you know, you need to come out and and meet the many thousands of people Mm. who have gathered here and you need to be outside and kind of confront this face to face, Mm -hmm. Uh, which he didn't. (laughs) Um, No. So he said he he was
1: very, very busy that day. Uh, 51% of the population,
0: not that important. Yeah, he was busy. He was busy. And I don't know, maybe Jenny wasn't around to um, give him some advice at this particular <laughs> time. True. But um, That's true. He So he did address the protesters. Mm. Um, I've just written about this one this morning. So he did address what was going on. He gave like an out-of-question time speech. It was pretty hard to ignore and he noted in um, the current stats that you know one in four women have suffered violence at the hands of an intimate partner since the age of 8 of 15 and that one woman uh, at the moment is uh, murdered every 9 days in australia he didn't really suggest anything that his government was going to be doing about these stats, nor did he address the um, the big, uh, the, the giant elephant in the room, which is the fact that you know these protesters are calling on an inquiry into sexual misconduct that is occurring in Parliament House, including mm-hmm. something more on the allegations that have been levelled against Christian Porter and, of course, Brittany Higgins' allegations. That she- what he did say though, uh, I don't know. I don't know where to go. Oh, God. I just, it was such why? a train wreck. What he did say was that um, it was a triumph <coughs> that uh, people are able to gather in this way and gather peacefully in this way. And he said that it's a triumph that uh, such protesters are not met with bullets um, because
1: <laughs> it's not so
0: far away uh, that is actually occurring right now. I I, I cannot believe that he went for this particular tactic, it is a diversion tactic, it is something that he is particularly good at doing, which he's been kind of doing for weeks, if not years, on a lot of these issues. But to pull that one out, to pull out the isn't Australia great, the how good is Australia line, without actually saying that, Mm. thank God, but without actually saying that, but to pull that out. It was um, only one step away, wasn't it? And, you know, and it's just offensive and dismissive on so many levels and just once again who is giving him these discussion points mm. who is advising him on empathy or on just having a good understanding on what is actually going on and it mm. just goes to show that yes he should have walked outside and he should have met as many women as he could have to try and get a better understanding on what exactly is going on
1: yeah and it would have been just such a better approach i mean for a marketing and pr you know guru I don't know – I mean, short of the empathy side of things, just in terms of sheer communication and being perceived in a positive light by Australians, Mm. I think it was just such a glaring omission on his part not to step outside, not to show some strength um, in doing that and show some leadership. Mm. Um, Obviously, you know, thousands and thousands of of women have come – to the hills of parliament to to kind of raise their voice and their concerns around what's going on. You, as a prime minister, need to step out and address that. You need to to kind of get acquainted with what's going on and, and hear these issues out because at the moment you're doing nothing and, you know, people are sick of it, clearly.
0: Yeah, yeah. And to call it a triumph of democracy again when the concerns are pretty much ignored, I mean, I mean totally ignored. Um, I mean, you've got... Uh, They were calling – the March for Justice calls for the full independent inquiry investigating all cases of gender violence that are alleged to have occurred in Parliament or involved um, current sitting members of Parliament. Mm. That's not happening. Um, We've also got the 55 recommendations from the Australian Human Rights Commission, which were released about this time last year, and that followed their massive national inquiry into sexual harassment, which obviously was funded and and pushed by the Australian government. Um, A handful of those have been – considered very loosely but really 55 recommendations and they are good recommendations here we are a year later and nothing is being done Mm. with those yeah so yeah what has also I I promise we're not going to talk politics the whole time (laughs) and that isn't even the idea of this podcast but um that is kind of where we are at the moment so uh also on this list just before we get into the next story which is still political um you know this is also uh political too but uh we, we wanted to talk about a few ideas that were shared um this week on uh not taking no for an answer so to move on to some tip star things there which i think is interesting and i also am going to touch on women in ai and data science which mm. um i know Tyler, that you weren't thrilled about but i'm going to go there No, no, not know you take the floor so, but tell us what has been announced uh, from the coalition government this morning. Yeah, I mean, look,
1: following up with this, um, you know, the, our conversation on how the government has been just totally inactive and inert on um, on these issues and uh, addressing the concerns of women, it was very interesting to see that they have um, moved forward with a policy that could put so many thousands thousands of vulnerable women in particular at risk. Um, So they've announced that victims of domestic and family violence are now able to access superannuation uh, prematurely so they can access it early up to $10,000 to essentially fund their own crisis response. Mm. Now,
0: what
1: is going
0: on when Uh, that is the case? I can see what is not going on when that is announced and that is that there's not really any great advice occurring there or any you know really strong gendered analysis which is what was lacking the first time uh, Mm. it was announced that you could access just generally your superannuation if you are experiencing hardship which was about this time last year as well. Mm
1: -hmm. 350,000 low-income women access superannuation early at the beginning of the pandemic We know that they're going to do that again because people are in dire straits. Mm -hmm. And this puts up an impossible predicament where it says in order to ensure your safety and security, you will potentially have to face financial ruin. Mm. And we know that women are already retiring with half the superannuation of men. There Mm. are already huge barriers in place and, you know, homelessness and poverty of of older women in Australia is a giant issue this is only going to make that you know such a a bigger and wider issue um and for the government to come out today and say you know this is part of a suite of initiatives that they've introduced not quite sure what is what that actually entails um but you know that it's it's a compassionate response it's a it's serving as a last resort you know compassionate response for for people to access this early and there's nothing compassionate about this policy you know mm. it will it will leave people in a really
0: really bad way yeah and it it could have th- there could have been other ways that mm. these people could yeah. That, that you could support these people instead.
1: Yeah, well, like, the ACTU President Michelle O'Neill came out today actually and, and said, look, you know, essentially the government has been shirking from implementing um, paid, um, paid domestic violence leave for a long time now and the recommendations from, you know, uh, many critical support services is that implementing 10 days at a minimum... Of domestic violence um, leave across organisations and you know across every industry is is absolutely imperative. And instead, this is what they've come up with because they don't want to cough up the the funding to do that, mm. um, even though that's what's going to make the difference.
0: Yeah, and really wouldn't actually be that much funding when we put this in uh, comparison to other things that are funded. Mm. Yes. <laughs> on this, this was first slated by um, the Women's Economic Security Statement, is that correct? So which yep. Kelly O'Dwyer initially put out when she was the Minister for Women. Yeah, in 2018, yeah. A long time ago, mm. plenty of time to get plenty of feedback on. Mm. <laughs> Here we are. <laughs> One day after these mass protests. And that's what they can come out with. You know, it, mm. is, it
1: beggars belief. It's just absolutely ridiculous. Um, and it would be it would be laughable if it wasn't so incredibly scary um, for so many
0: mm. okay let's move on from politics <laughs> <laughs> yes you will get plenty of it on women's agenda all the stories and issues that we cover and a lot more <laughs> you will find on our website and a quick reminder to subscribe to our daily newsletter it comes out just before lunchtime or about three hours most after days. lunchtime if as <laughs> it did yesterday. But Most days just before <laughs> lunchtime but okay let's move on to some other things. So I was particularly taken uh, and Tyler I know that you published this piece by Lisa Tay this this week mm-hmm. who uh, runs um, a digital marketing business and has talked about you know, a time in January, 2019, when she was sitting there on LinkedIn on her holidays, um, as you do, I do that too, Lisa, that's all good. Um, so (laughs) trawling through, surfing through LinkedIn. And she said that a profile headline caught her eye looking for digital agencies interested to invest in. And she says that she toyed with the idea of bringing an investor into a business. So she clicked on the profile, saw a potential opportunity and sent him a message that became a phone call and then a meeting at a cafe. Um, and then she goes through this idea of not taking no for an answer and sharing all these awesome tips.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, we publish a lot of business pieces on Women's Agenda, but I really, I really took to this advice from Lisa. I thought it was just so, so good. Um, so basically, yeah, she she lured this investor to have a meeting with her, um, but she goes through the the uh, you know she goes through how that actually evolved and it actually wasn't. Um, a really seamless kind of um, meeting, she wasn't able to kind of answer the questions in the way that she wanted to and, and address um, everything that he had said. And then afterwards she said, you know, she she didn't feel particularly um, great about it all. And then afterwards she actually contacted him again and and kind of said to him, look um, – and this was actually after he'd rejected mm. the the prospect of working with her and investing in the business – uh, she emailed him again and just said, "Look, can we have a chat tomorrow? Mm. Um, I really just want to, you know, clear some things up and and um, make my case a little bit better." And he, you know, um, he kind of said yes to that, and they ended up having another conversation. Um, and basically, you know, what transpired was that they entered into a they ended up entering into a, a business partnership um, from there on, and and. Um, they reached an agreement and he invested in her business Um, and look that's not going to happen for everyone obviously but I think her advice and just you know she says if you don't if you don't ask you're always going to get a hard no you know whereas if you if you just keep pushing and you keep asking at least there's the chance of a yes yeah exactly Um, and I think a lot of the time people and, and probably more so women who are at a disadvantage in, in lots of these cases, you know, probably don't follow up there and, and I do think that it was just it was just really
0: good, simple business advice and probably something that people can take and it applies to so much it applies to if you're if you have a book manuscript and you send it to publishers we've heard it before you know send it to as many as possible it applies to obviously the idea of going for a new client of bringing on an investor but also for applying for a job as well and I know that in my experience when I think back to my first paid job in journalism I remember I was so persistent and so annoying (laughs) to that publisher that I feel like he just gave me the job just so that I would like stop annoying him. So please (laughs) just go away. (laughs) It was like, oh yeah. (sighs) Okay. (laughs) And that was enough for me, you know? Wasn't great. I think I did that with you to be fair. When when Ange
1: acquired the business, I was just absolutely persistent with her until she (laughs) kind of went, oh fine. I was just I'll work with you if I have to.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I've also seen it with, you know, we've employed people in this business over the years and you do see that as well. There is, um, there is, you you do note a difference between people who are really persistent and Mm. I know that particularly as a small business owner, I just want to, I mean, seeing that enthusiasm means a lot. (laughs) So it's definitely good to do. You've got nothing to lose. Don't be scared of being annoying. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> bring it on yes um okay well that was that one and the 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 other story that I was really keen to discuss and this is an issue that is really I feel very passionate and strongly about even though I've never worked in AI I've never worked in data science I have spent some time as a tech journalist over the years so that may have perked my interest a little bit but I see this sector, this high-tech sector that's not quite technology, that is um, obviously a little bit more specific and um, often you do require a little bit more qualifications for these fields, like um, if you're looking at um, automation, robotics, AI, data science, these things. We do know that there are lots of job opportunities in these areas and that's where a lot of the, the the newer jobs are expected to be in the coming years. Although I might say that having just written a full series on the future of work for, for Yahoo Finance what I did discover in my research was that we often think about tech roles as being the future of work when actually it is more caring roles that are the future of work. So Mm. don't overlook things like teaching and nursing and working in aged care facilities and occupational therapy and stuff. That is where there are going to be shortages of work in the future. Sorry, that was a little side point, but (laughs) back to AI and data science. One of the issues that... um, the world economic forum highlighted a couple of years back was the fact that you know globally only about one in five of the artificial intelligence workforce is female and that is a major problem Obviously. Mm. I mean, it should be a problem in any team, but when it comes to any team that is developing algorithms and algorithms that will be embedded in technology that will be with us for a long time in the future, it is a real issue in the sense that we are just embedding the same bias, and even more so if we can't make sure that the teams creating that technology is diverse. So, this is an issue that we have written about over the years, particularly in the last couple of years, particularly since the World Economic Forum highlighted these issues but it is something that um, Jane Lindy has just uh, written on for us um, in the last week looking at how we can get more women into these particular fields and the thing is it's not just about getting more women into STEM Mm. um, where we already know that we don't have enough women in STEM it requires you know going that a little bit of an additional step as well. Tyler do you have any ideas? (laughs) Oh goodness. I um, can share some from that w- that we covered in this research but yeah. what's your kind of immediate thinking and I can share mine. One thing that I mean like I say is an additional step into some of these more high-tech roles and at the moment we have this real problem where you know we're trying to inspire more women and girls into STEM but we're not actually fully looking after the women in, who are already mm-hmm. working in STEM and mm-hmm. we've definitely seen this in the pandemic where we particularly um, in, in say science there how a lot of researchers uh, mid-career researchers um, particularly really suffered during the pandemic because Mm. they couldn't actually be in a lab so Mm. they needed to be home um they didn't necessarily have secure work and there was a lot of women there who did lose their jobs there so we need to make sure that you know we're not only focusing on the let's inspire high school girls which is important but also that we are
1: yeah but that's the kind of glamorous side of it i guess you would say, and I think it does. Um, it does completely miss the point that yeah. at that midpoint, um, which most women actually face, you know, that midpoint in your career, um, how to navigate that. But in science and, and technology roles, uh, it's heightened because, as you say, there's a necessity to be in be in labs and um, and I think you know the expectation in those industries is still very much on on kind of face bizarre time. work hours that yeah. are just unattainable for most humans, but especially humans that have you know a huge number of competing priorities, um, mm. and and that's a big problem because um, if you're not getting women in those industries um, and across these these uh, across these jobs, then you. are just missing out on a, a giant wealth of talent.
0: Yeah, exactly. I'm wondering if, when it comes to that mid-career level, because we know that there are a lot of issues. Um, you know, there's issues from everything from from sexism to being um, overlooked for promotions to pay gaps as well. But there's also the issue of flexibility, which I think you've just raised there in the sense of mm. there are these really long hours, and it is. Uh, often very much dependent on FaceTime as well. And it can be really hard to keep up with a younger, you know, male, (laughs) unattached male who Mm. is able to kind of live in the office, especially when you see some of these companies that really do things to try and encourage you to stay in the office Mm -hmm. as long as possible. So they make sure there's, there's plenty of things to keep you entertained there. There might be food there as well and create social lives and everything that works around these offices. And at the end of the day, if you're competing for the same role, if you're competing for a promotion, it can – you could be – you could have everything in the world on par and be equal, but, you know, you Mm. can see why, not necessarily deservedly so, somebody who is very present in an office might get the role over somebody who is not. Yeah, Um, So it's a real problem. But one thing I wonder is if, you know, obviously the fallout from the pandemic uh, with so many of us now working from home with so many more opportunities to work remotely and these big technology companies kind of slating, at least we've seen this from Twitter and and other ones as well, saying that they will have some kind of work from home remote work policy forever. Mm-hmm. going on from here. Um Atlassian too in Australia have said this that, that they will be expecting to do a hybrid work policy where, you know, they still will have their office and if you need to come into the office, that's great and they want to have you there, but they're going to try and make it a little bit fairer for those who can't get into the office. Yeah. I hope that will help shift some of this. Yeah. Am I being too optimistic?
1: No, I I, I hope that's the case too. I think look, I I do feel like the pandemic has shone a light on how work can be and Mm. what employers, um, you know, that employers can feel that trust and and have that trust in their employees to actually work well remotely. Um, And at at least it's kind of forced us into that, you know, whereas before I felt like some industries were making good headway with flexibility, but oftentimes it was a bit of smoke and mirrors and, you know, tokenistic attempts Mm -hmm. at implementing that. Um, into certain into certain sectors, but I think you know, now we have to. This this period has forced us to be like that. It's forced us to work in that way, and it has shown us that what's what's able to be achieved um, when we're doing that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and
0: also, what better talent you can draw from as well? Mm. I spoke to uh, Joe Palmer last week, who is the founder of uh, Pointer, which is this kind of job recruitment platform for people who. Uh, looking for remote roles, particularly people who live remotely. And she said how you know this has just completely, um, absolutely accelerated by like a generation, the shift to enabling people who live regionally and remotely across Australia access to really good uh, opportunities in, in tech, in government departments, in professional services mm-hmm. and has really just changed possibly where we'll live, <laughs> how mm-hmm. we'll live, uh, forever from here.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm looking for a, a you know relegation up to the North Coast. So. <laughs> I'm
0: right. I'm right there. <laughs> You're in. Okay. I mean, <laughs> well, she just dropped that one on me now. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We've got to
1: practice what we preach
0: here. <laughs> all right. Well, with that, uh, we are done. Thank you for listening. Um, a reminder that all the stories that we do discuss are on our website in some shape or form. Um, You can also go there and subscribe to our newsletter, uh, womensagenda.com.au forward slash subscribe. And please go and check out our other podcast, The Leadership Lessons, which features uh, interviews with female leaders on how to lead for the critical decade ahead, which is obviously so important right now. Thank you for listening. Thanks.